it's such a it's a wonderful time for us to um, to start the year again, <laughs> right? Happy New Year. Who feels like they need to just hit reset and let's start again? Well, uh, if that's the case, then isn't it great that we can celebrate Matariki uh, this uh, this year, uh, first Indigenous public holiday? So cool. Uh, as um, I've been really looking forward to sharing this morning, and I've been like, oh, it's a long weekend, and people are going to be away, but I'm like, oh, who cares? The, the right people will be in the room, and, and those that are hungry will listen to the podcast, so thank you for all of the above, if that's you. Um, because, uh, again, if you're visiting with us, we follow the church calendar, the liturgical church calendar, in terms of what we speak to, uh, and then in ordinary time, we normally look at a book of the Bible, so this year we looked at Revelation, uh, just that easy little chestnut of a book to uh, work through, you know, just to help form us and shape us as followers of Jesus, um, and then we often look at a practice, what does it look like to apply the, the way of Jesus to our lives uh, and so that's often what we talk about on Sunday. What I want to do today is actually um, really just speak afresh to how we are trying to pursue Jesus in this church. Like how are we, how are we building disciples? How can you, as a member of Bay Vineyard, grow in your discipleship journey? I just want to unpack that again uh, because it really it burns in my bones, to be honest. And I've been kind of the last five or six weeks, we've been finishing Revelation, but I've been like getting this talk ready and been like, ooh, I can't wait to preach it. Um, and then Ryan sent me a talk by this guy, John Mark Comer. Now, I'm a, I'm a follower of John Mark Comer and John Tyson and Dallas Willard and Eugene Peterson and Ruth Haley Barton and, Barton and um, probably Beth Moore and a few others as well. Like, I imitate them as they imitate Christ, right? So I just, I listen to their stuff all the time. And so today I had written all the stuff and then Ryan sent me through this great talk and I was like, that talk's crap. I'm just going to literally regurgitate for the glory of God this John Mark Comer talk. So everything good in this talk is from him. But because I've been so immersed in his ecclesiology and, and he's really just regurgitating Dallas Willard and all the rest of it. So it's such a great word, isn't it? Uh, regurgitating. So... Um, so no, like no one can come up to me and say, oh, that was a good sermon, Harvey, because it was like, well, I just stole it all. Yeah. It's like turning up to a covers band and going, wow, that uh, Slice of Heaven song, that was a good, are you guys right there? It's like, no, you didn't. Dave Dobbin wrote it, it was an awesome song. So I'm just a covers band this morning. But, um, but as I talk, you'll realise that how, how much of this has permeated the culture of Bay Vineyard. And most of it's outside of a Sunday, which is why I'm like, oh, no, I think about this every week, but I'm not sure my guys are re- you know, realise what we've got going on here, because here's the reality. If you want to grow in Jesus, you can. We've got things set up that will help you grow so that you can become more like Jesus. And that's not theory. I've just witnessed it over the last four years our church has been going. I've seen people change who have deeply engaged, not just with Sunday, but with our discipleship material. Um, And there's a passage um, that really really is is my life verse at the moment, Galatians 4.19. And Paul writes this, My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Now, a couple of things quickly on that before we dive into what I really want to talk about. That's a brave metaphor by Paul. I mean, really, Paul? Like, I bet you there was a few women who read that in the church of Galatia, like, mm, 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 I don't think so, boy. You think, you know, you know. And so, uh, well done, Paul. That was brave. Um, but also, but, but he's trying to find this metaphor of like the longing and, and the longing and expectancy and pain that he carries to see Christ formed in his church. 
So I want to unpack what it means for us to follow Jesus this morning and some of the things that we've got in place here at Bay Vineyard to help you in that journey. Uh, and also we're launching a new initiative on that front this morning. So let's have a look. Let's jump into the Bible. Mark chapter 1. As Jesus uh, walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting in into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw the James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, standing at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him among, along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now there's an interesting pattern. I don't know if you guys noticed it. Um, the pattern there, which is not... Believe in me, and then when you die, you'll go to heaven. The call of Jesus was simple, come and follow me. There has been the damage done in the church because of a conversionism theology cannot be overstated. It's just like, mate, so many folks just want to go to heaven when they die, but don't actually want to follow Jesus here on earth. And it's messed us up massively. The demons believed in Jesus. That wasn't like the big thing. (laughs) It was actually following Jesus. Come and follow him. And so that word, come and follow, was was that called this invitation to be a disciple of Jesus. Disciple in the the Greek there is this word talmudim. Talmudim. And and talmudim means a bunch of things. It means like a follower, but like not the social media follower that we've got today, but like literally like, literally follow, like right next to this person. It means student. Um, the best English word is probably apprentice. So we've got a bunch of tradies in the church, and we've got, oh, Kieran's doing an apprenticeship right now. It's like, it's, it's not just do you believe in building. So no, it's like, great, man. I don't want someone building my house that just believes in building. I believe in building. I can't build anything. I want an apprentice. I want someone that's done the apprenticeship journey to know the craft. And so we've done this whole thing on Revelation, which, um, which one of the things that's been really helpful is that we've all learned afresh how important historical context is. So when the original hearers heard certain things, what did they think? What was in their imagination when they heard that word? And so for the original hearers, like disciple, the whole idea of being a disciple wasn't unique to Jesus. It was like this was embedded in the Jewish culture. And basically what happened is that you had these kind of, this, trend, this kind of movement that, uh, that young boys, again, sorry, patriarchal society there, guys and girls, we've gone a long way, hallelujah, so everyone's involved here. But back in that day, it was just the boys, which is dumb, not whatever. Um, but the, so the dudes would have these kind of, this, this progression that they would take. 
Um, and it would start uh, before you were 12. By the time you're 12, you would go through this thing called Beth Sefer, which is, literally means the house of the book. Basic education, so there's some like, you know, learn some, some other stuff. But, but also you had to memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible by the time you were 12. Okay, how's everyone else doing on that front? Anyone else going, oh dear, if that's, like that was like everyone did that. Like it was just anyone can engage with that. And then most of the folk, and this would definitely be me, who weren't clever really enough and struggled their way through the Torah, you went on to become an apprentice of your family business. Well done, you know. But the real, real clever nerds, they would go on to the Bet Talmud or the Beth Madras, depending on, uh, and it was called the House of Learning. And there you went on to memorise most, if not all, of the Old Testament. Again, this is from the age of 12, you just start learning all this sort of stuff. And then uh, out of that, the best of the elite, uh, the best of the best, the, the elite, the Navy SEALs, would go on to become disciples, Talmudin, of a rabbi. And it's so tough to get to this point. But if a rabbi thought you had it, then you would hear these words as he looked into your eyes. Come follow me. Big deal. Huge deal. And so if you became a Talmudin, there were three goals that you had that your life was then absolutely orientated around. The first was to just be with the rabbi like full time. It's interesting in Mark chapter 3, uh, Jesus appoints the 12 that they might be with him. You'd literally eat with the person, you'd sleep next to the person. There's this old beautiful blessing from, from this, this time that said, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Like you just walked so close, the dusty roads and all that, you walked so close, you're just, at the end of the day, you'd be covered with the dust because you've been following your rabbi so closely. So your first goal was to be with this rabbi. The second is to become like your rabbi. Jesus in Mark um, 1.17 says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Again, uh, we read it like a cheesy pun, like you used to fish for people, you know, fish, and now you're going to fish for people. Um, and that's kind of how I understood it. Again, uh, in the original, uh, in terms of historical context, um, this was a well-known idiom for a great teacher. It's like if you were just really good at teaching, I hope I'm like this, you, kept, you, know, you captivate people's minds and imaginations, and it's like you, you reeled them in. Like, so that's what Jesus is saying here. Like, I'll make you fishers of men was like this idiom of like, I will, you'll embody everything that I've got and, and you will help other people become like me. Then lastly, to do what he did, which uh, in Mark 3, it says he sent them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. I mean, this is what Jesus had been deep doing, teaching and setting people free. Uh, and so the point of the apprenticeship is that you would become a discipler that other people would grow in the same way that you had learned to, to follow. Um, and so this is what it means. Like when Jesus says, come and be my disciple, these are the three things that he is inviting every one of us to do, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did if he was you in your context, in your place. That's actually what it means to be a disciple. So let's, you've heard me say that how many times? Literally every sermon over the last four years probably. But we're, let's unpack that one more time, Okay. So, so firstly, to be with Jesus is the first and most important goal is to be with Jesus, to live in this awareness of his presence. Friends, if there's one area the enemy's gone after, it's this, to be with Jesus. 
There are billions of dollars being spent by companies to try and hold your attention. It's never been more tricky to be with Jesus. When you're on the toilet, what do you, I'm not going to, this is rhetorical. What are you doing? Most of your dirty dogs are on your phones, right? Little feasty things going on. You know, it's like, I don't want to touch your phone after that, but it's like any window in the supermarket line, where are we? On our phones. Everywhere you look, there's phone zombies, right? I mean, it's like pervasive. And then like the toughest thing I have called our church to is spend time with Jesus every day. It's just war. And I'm going to talk about the things we've got in place to help that battle. But it's key. And when you start reclaiming that place, you just start flourishing, which is what Jesus wants. You start hanging out with the source of life, the source of love, the source of all goodness. It's literally heaven when we spend time with him. But it's a contested space. To be with him. Jesus in John, 5, uh, John 15 says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit we prune so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now remain in me, other translations have, abide in me and I will remain or abide with you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. So many of us are like, my Christian life doesn't feel fruity. It's because we just haven't been abiding with Jesus. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. You know the fruit he's talking about? Isn't doing stuff. The fruit he's talking about is that you will experience love, joy, and peace in your inner being. It's the life you long to live. That's the fruit he's talking about. And then out of that comes mission and ministry and all the rest of it. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, that you become very fruity. Who doesn't want to be filled with love, filled with joy, filled with peace? We are, we're desperate for it. But I'm not sure whether we believe Jesus, because if we did, we'd be running into his presence every day. It wouldn't be like, oh, maybe I can do it. It would be just screw all the phones and all the other stuff and how busy I am. And I'm getting up early to hang out with him because I want to have that fruit. Right? Dallas Willard said it like this. The first and most basic thing we can and must do is to keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practicing the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practicing, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. That's a good line. It's very gentle, isn't it? But try and get your heads around what he's saying. In the early times, as you try and develop this habit, you'll be challenged by burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. Oh, that's good. That's real good. Oh, I speak that over you. The lo- that you'd have a longing for God, like a fresh longing. But it does, it takes practice. It's the practices of Jesus. And, and these practices of Jesus, like we look to him, 
to, to help us. Like, I want to be your disciple. I want to like, live like you lived. And so Jesus We'll go and, and so things like silence and solitude and prayer and fasting and reading the Bible and Sabbath are the Jesus-soaked, time-tested ways to abide and remain in the vine. And so the Western Protestant church has had to go, has, needs to reclaim what it looks like to, to come into that space. And you know what's this so cool? Like John Mark Thomas says this in his talk, you know, the best, the best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. I love it. Best thing about following Jesus is Jesus. Get to hang out with him a whole lot. It's the richest life you could live hanging out with Jesus. All right, number one. Number two, become like Jesus. Out of that place of abiding, your goal and my goal is to become like our rabbi, like Jesus. It's what the saints call sanctification or spiritual formation. This is the idea that over time, we just become more like him. We become like possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk with the easy yoke of Jesus, our teacher. And so the simple, like, the reality is that you are being formed into someone's image. Like there are people that are influences on your life. And I could probably tell, like if you don't, I'm not going to do this because it'd be real culty, but it's like, you know, if I was like, okay, you know, to be part of Bay Vineyard, I'm just going to have a quick look at your phone and see what podcast you listen to. They're going to be voices that shape you. We're going to have a look at your Netflix history and I better tell you the voices that are shaping you. What's, what are you reading? What are you listening to? Like you are being formed by all of the stuff. The question is, is it being formed by Jesus first and foremost or by all this other stuff. And the question is, if you plot the trajectory of your character arc out a decade, two decades, three decades, how's it tracking in terms of Christ-likeness? Like if you look back over the last little, I know this is real heavy, eh? sorry guys, but it's like, but who are you, are you becoming more like him? Because, it, you know, we go through our days and it's like we just get formed and especially especially how our time gets used, is normally dictated by external forces that we think are very strong and we can't overcome, blah, blah, blah. But if you just continue, if you like, if, are you happy with who you are in terms of like, are you tracking to become more like Jesus? This stuff here is phenomenal when you start thinking about it. It's deeply challenging. Deeply challenging. Any one of these passages is like, oh dear. <laughs> oh no, we've got a wee ways to go, <laughs> you know? Um, but, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, has it permeated your being? Or, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, like what it looks like to be a person of love. And all the there's just a, there's, the Scripture's dripping. The apostolic vision of the New Testament is a vision that, uh, that people would become more like Christ. And all of these passages are just ways of trying to articulate what it looks like to track in the right direction. So becoming like Jesus, man, uh, uh, we're going to do the series uh, next term called Live No Lies, um, looking at the world, the flesh, and the devil. How we can overcome these things so that we can be formed into the way of Jesus, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, but I've been reflecting a little bit about the fact that, man, it just gets better and better and better when you choose Jesus. And that while it's not easy, and certainly the initial phase of actually letting him be Lord of your life, rather than just having a believer mentality so that you go to heaven when, you're, when he's actually Lord, when you're actually a disciple. The first five years are tough, I reckon. 
Because a lot of deforming that's taking place, and so we've got to allow God to come in and heal that. And you know what it looks like? People want to be like Jesus, but actually, do you know what it looks like? Ringing up the counsellor. I did this in the first 15 years of, my, of ministry, every year for 15 years. Hello, oh, counsellor. <laughs> I need to talk to you again. Do I like doing that? No. It's not, not fun. I call it hugging the cactus. It's lame. It's hugging those worst bits of myself, but allowing then Jesus to come into it rather than just trying to bury my brokenness. They actually allow them to allow that stuff to be dealt with with Jesus. You know the other thing it looked like? Responding to altar calls and eating humble pie every time God started to put his finger on something. And this morning, I'm going to give a challenge. You can tell us a bit of laying down the word all this morning. I'm going to give a challenge to some of you to say, yes, Lord, I want to be a disciple of you again. And I want you to come up the front. To, and, you know, and there's nothing magical about here, but it's the outward sign of an inward decision of a soft heart before the Lord. This says, I want you to shape and form me. And the thing that stops people following Jesus is pride. So coming up the front is good for your pride. We, like, he wants humble servants like he is. And so it's going to take years and years. I've been talking to some of the boys who are deep on this journey. And there's a little bit of frustration around, I wish it was a bit quicker. It's like, oh, mate, you've got to have a 10-year vision. And that just gets you started around formation. But if you're deeply committed to it, his promises are true. And you start becoming more like him. And lastly, to do what he did, to carry on Jesus' work. Jesus' work was to usher in the beautiful kingdom of God. And our goal is to join up with Jesus and all that he's on about in this world. John Mark summarised um, what Jesus did into these 10 things here, teaching the way um, of Jesus um, uh, or preaching the gospel. Um, preaching the gospel, again, don't think conversionism, think good news. Every, like it's not less than conversionism, but it's so much more than that. Preaching the good, oh, this is good news this morning, even though it's a challenging word. The good news that you can walk into the rich life you long to live and all the rest of it. So you've got those things there. Eventually our goal is to, to live this stuff out more and more. And interestingly, it's not like you'll be smashing all of these things. This is why we're actually called to be the body of Christ altogether. There'll be a grace on your life for certain elements of this. And together we can do the full ministry of Jesus. So don't beat yourself up going, I'm terrible at that one. And oh, I actually quite like that one. Well, the one you like, there's only grace on your life. But here's the thing. Most of us, are, oh, no, don't say that Harvey, terrible past, terrible preaching thing. We wrestle, like, I think sometimes we wrestle with like, am I deeply satisfied with how I'm spending my life? And when you do this stuff, it gets rich. Like it's so rich when you start partnering with God to do kingdom stuff. That, in your workplace, in your family, that just gets expressed in normal, ordinary places. But man, that's the rich life that we long to live. It's so rich. Following Jesus just doesn't work as a hobby. <laughs> when, it's in the, when it's kind of like a side to the main point of your life, it's actually super hard to, to follow Jesus. It's not fun at all, and it doesn't actually yield the life that he offers. I've watched so many people try to live this, with just like as, as an aside, as a little bit, and I'm like, I feel for them, eh? Because the people that are most free are the ones all in, just all in. Even if you're not sorted, it doesn't matter. When you're all in, it's the best feeling in the world. When it's bolted onto the side, it's just tough. It's tough. Interesting in Nicodemus, I've been thinking a lot about Jesus' engagement with Nicodemus. He's a, a good man, Nicodemus. 
wasn't like he was up to all sorts of mischief. He, he knew his Bible. He was a rabbi. And like Jesus says to him, mate, like, what is it? he's like, you've got to be born again. He's spinning out. But what Jesus is trying to say is like, you actually have to live, learn to live your life all over again. You've got to learn to live again. You think you learned to live, you've learned wrong. You have to learn to live all over again. Jesus' invitation, deeply challenging to us. Interestingly, the word Christian is only used three times in the New Testament, and it's always used in a negative light. The word disciple is used 268 times. We're called to be disciples. Often being a Christian is more about Jesus following you, right? It's like, Jesus, help me out. I prayed this yesterday. Lord, give me a car park, you know. um, Help me out in some way for many years until I met my beautiful wife. It was like, Lord, I'd love a, love a wife. It would be amazing, whatever, you know. Often, and it's just like, actually, it's just Jesus. Like, come on, follow me, Jesus, all the things I want. Being a disciple is like, Jesus, you're leading, I'm following. Lead me, lead on. I'm following you. Uh, and, yeah, oh, let's miss some stuff here. Okay, Dallas Willard, again. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs that's a, big, that's a big opening sentence. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession, like me, or culture, are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Jesus is not looking for converts. He's looking for disciples. And the invitation is there for us. And again, you think about, again, when they heard that word disciple, how intense it was to become a disciple of a rabbi, right? Jesus then gets up in Mark 8, and I've already read it out. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Now, Mark is very intentional about this because it's like it wasn't just the 12 disciples. There were probably hundreds of disciples of Jesus at the time, and there was the 12 apostles. But Mark's very, he's like, There's the crowd and there's the disciples. And then Jesus looks to the crowd and the disciples and says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. So whoever, all of you can, and and churches today, we've got lots of crowd, not many disciples. So Jesus stands before us today and he's looking every one of you in the eye, saying, if you want to, you can be my disciple. You just got to lay down your life and follow me. Whoever, everyone can do it. But I'm not too smart. Fine, but I didn't graduate past the Talmudine thing. Oh, sweet ass. You can see, you know, you're welcome. You can be my follower. You can be my disciple. You're invited. And this kind of life is so rich. It's like it's from the inside out, there's this deep transformation that takes place. Uh, let me just jump into a little bit of an aside here from the Sermon on the Mount, and then we're going to dive into some practical stuff here. The beginning, the, the Sermon on the Mount is fascinating. Obviously, Jesus like manifesto for the, the kingdom of God. And it's interesting because it, like, it presumes that you're going to get angry, and it presumes that you're going to struggle with lust, and it presumes you're going to be greedy, and all that sort of stuff. Like It presumes the mess of life and then calls us to this high place of human flourishing. Not easy. You can't do that with behavioural management. You do that when something deep gets in your, in your heart and when the Spirit of God transforms you from the inside out. But the Sermon on the Mount is bookmarked by these two things where Jesus says at the start this, uh, Matthew five nineteen. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever practices and teaches these commandments will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then you've got the whole Sermon on the Mount. And then at the end, Matthew 7. Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and bit against that house, but it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And then it goes on to say anyone that doesn't do it, it's foolish and What's interesting is that we've just gone through slightly just coming out of a fairly interesting storm culturally in terms of COVID and all that sort of stuff. Puts enormous pressure on people's lives. And what it does is it exposes the foundation. And it exposes how much have you put the stuff into practice. Because the storms of life are going to come. And, and we go through personal storms, we go through cultural storms, all the rest of it. But the people that put it into practice are the ones who have built their life on the, on the rock. It's like, wow, that's a profound statement by Jesus. Jesus assumes this way of life, this way of living, is going to take a lifetime of practice. It's not a hobby. Now, what do I mean by practice? It's important we... Uh, understand what's, what we mean by that. We don't mean you've just got to grit your teeth and try harder. No one needs that, that sermon right now. So just be freed from that in Jesus' name. Uh, this isn't a, you're a bad Christian, come on, lift your game. This is a vision for who you are called to be in Jesus. But how does that happen? Not just by trying harder, but actually slowly reorientating our life all around it. Next slide, Ramon. Um, so... <laughs> The best way to think about, uh, about uh, practicing the way of Jesus is not about trying, it's about training. Now, if I've run, oh, how many, Jen? Like three half marathons, four? Currently very off the wagon, okay? So just for the record, hugely off the wagon. But So if I tried to run a half marathon tomorrow, it would probably kill me. Like, what happened to Harvey? He, he tried to run it. It's like, and if you guys haven't been running, trying to do that would just be bad idea. It would just munch you up so much. You, you, you know, a half marathon, you probably could pull it off. You wouldn't be able to walk for a week afterwards, but you could probably, if you even, to, to like, I've never done this, a full marathon. Has anyone done a full marathon in church here this morning? Ryan, you haven't done a full marathon? I thought, I thought you were the top of the day. Yeah, well, that's, here we go. <laughs> So I don't know what it takes to do it. I just know, people I know that have done full marathons are like, bro, it's not two half marathons. It's, pro, it's about three at least in terms of just how hard that last 10Ks are. So it's like to try and run a marathon, all of us, never, no one's done it. It's like, just go, I'm going to do that. It's going to munch you up. But here's the thing, with training, you can. Now, at least I'm going to stay in the half marathon lane because I know I could actually, with integrity, preach to that. But it's like, you don't just start smashing it you start and like man, honestly I'm trying to like get back on the wagon at the moment and like I'm like in COVID and all the rest of it thank goodness I've got that as an excuse and so I went to I did like I got back on the wagon before COVID went for one run just you know just about died and then like got COVID and so and I'm still like now I'm going to get back on the wagon with my fitness and so now so I'm walking <laughs> and like I'm accountable to Ryan about this so I'm like, Ryan, I'm going to go for a walk on Wednesday. And so on Wednesday, I went for a walk, and I was like, I'm going to pre-walk around Napier. So I was just walking around the city. And like, I was like, I'm going to do half an hour walking. I can do that. I couldn't. I couldn't even do, I did 25 minutes. I was like, I'm out. I'm done. I'm, I, I can't even do a brisk walk anymore. So like, again, for me to have, it would kill me. 
But I tell you what, I just know because I've done it that if I can begin doing one kilometer and then next year only two kilometers. And this is what Jesus is talking about when it comes to practicing the way of Jesus. It's just starting, it's it, like consistency trumps intensity. And so often we think we've got to be full noise ninja Christians. Like, no, just start. Like most of have got nothing going on. Start something to be with Jesus. Honestly, five minutes a day you can do. And if you do it smart, that'll be a very rich, deep time. And then slowly you can start building up that sort of dynamic. And over the last number of years, we've been many of us holding each other, each other accountable to our devotional life. And it's a glorious slippery slope into the presence of God, more and more of it. And guys that struggle to do five minutes now get up at 5.30 in the morning and sit with Jesus for a good extended period of time and the difference is tangible. And the, and the beautiful thing is that it spills over missionally. The number of times when we get together and have our accountability conversations and someone shares about some insane thing they've done for the kingdom of God, praying for some random or like talking to, you know, or the, all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, I'm not preaching on mission, but you're hanging out with Jesus so much that the kingdom's starting to get seeped into your bones and you're seeing what God wants to do around you. That's meant to be the normal Christian life, to be with Him to become like him and then to do what he would do if he was you. So here's how we're trying to do that at Bay Vineyard Church. And we've been doing this for a number of years now and so we're going to launch something new today. Um, obviously, um, formation, uh, coming to church on Sunday, is a holy and healthy habit to have. We don't come to be entertained, as we say every week. We come to the table we come to worship. We come to open up the Word of God and remind ourselves of the great story that we're a part of. We come to fellowship one another. We church one another. All that sort of stuff. Good to come. And honestly, I would encourage you to reflect on how consistent that is. Not, not because, again, I want, you know, I love it when everyone turns up to church, absolutely, which pastor doesn't, right? But it's like, it's got to be deeper than that, where it's like, Hebrews says, don't give up the habit of meeting together. So it's good. And, yeah. Secondly, we've got our home churches. Our home churches are geared up to learn the way of Jesus. We've filmed all these resources and we've done all the stuff where it's like, here's, uh, here's what it looks like to be with Jesus, become like Jesus and do what Jesus did. And to apply that to our lives. And folks are engaging with that. And then we've got Upper Click, uh, and that's an accountability group that meets, uh, um, the women meet on Wednesday, the dudes meet on Thursday, to hold each other accountable to be with Jesus. The, the core foundational spiritual practice. And over the last number of years, I have just with joy watched guys, because I'm a dude, obviously, so I don't go to the girls' one, um, but I just watched folk, normal Kiwi dudes, go deep with Jesus. And here's my observation from the last 20 years of being a pastor. As I've watched, here's the option you have as you go through life. When you first come to faith or in your 20s, it's all very exciting. And you've got a community that's very cool. In your 30s, life gets a bit busy. Sometimes you get married, have kids, all that sort of stuff. In your 40s, you've, you're living Groundhog Day, right? And here's the thing. I've just watched people. Make, you've got one of two choices. You can either go deeper or you can get distant. I've watched it. Over and over again, people I thought would be just on fire for Jesus all of their life, I've seen them get distant. And it's broken my heart. But I tell you what, there's a bunch of guys and girls in this church who are like, we're going deeper. We're going deeper. 
We're going to read the stuff. We're going to listen to the podcast. We're going to get along to upper clicks. We're going to, we're going to go deeper in him. It's possible. It's absolutely possible. And it's, and oh my gosh, it's the richest possible life. But here's what we're launching today. The tricky thing is, because I'm like, I'm just, I'm so, like it burns in my bones. I want people to be formed in the way of Jesus. It, honestly, I'm up at night sometimes and it's just like, it's, I just, I can't, I'm just, I, it burns. It's a burning in my bones. I just long for it. Some people struggle to get to a home church and upper clicks a bit of a mission because of work or shifts or whatever. What we're launching today is huddles. Uh, and here's what huddles are. Here's the thing. We've, we, one of our big learnings over the last number of years is the power of gentle accountability. Because we are all addicts to all sorts of stuff that's not Jesus. So we actually need a program to help us rehab out. We, need, we, we fully need uh, a program of accountability just like AA, just like Weight Watchers, just like anything else where people meet together. To, and the study, the research on this is unreal. If you just think you want to become more like Jesus, it's almost impossible for you to do that. Uh, if you're in a community, it goes way higher and you put some intentionality around it. But here's what all the research says coming out. And there's, again, especially in terms of addicts and stuff. But And as I say, we're addicts to everything but Jesus. <laughs> How to get addicted to Jesus means you've got to be accountable. And those that are weekly, have a weekly accountability appointment, there's a 90% chance you will reach the goal that you're shooting for. That's the best you'll get. But that's pretty amazing. And I've witnessed that with my own eyes over the last number of years as for the first time we started an accountability group in the form of Upper Click. That I can, we all, all the boys that go to this know that without that group, we would not have a deep devotional life today. And if you stop going, I've seen people just wander off and get distant very quickly. We need that weekly meeting. So we're like, let's form another space where we can have the weekly meeting and just engage with each other. So huddles are two to four people, no more than four people, Three's a good number. Uh, who check in weekly, and here's the thing, it can be any way you want. So um, me, Ryan, and Luke have been doing it for the last couple of weeks. We have a teleconference on Tuesday as Ryan drives back from home from work. Um, and it's like, or you can do a Zoom, or you can have a messenger group, or you can meet for coffee, fine. But this is uh, self-initiated. We're not going to organise this for you because I'm like, we, there's only so much we're going to do because I'm like, if you're hungry for Jesus, you'll do this stuff. I'm not, I can't make hunger happen in this church. But I can try and create a culture and a framework that's, that gives you every chance of flourishing in Jesus. And so the idea is that you're like, okay, I'm going to have a couple of folks and we're going to hold each other accountable for our devotional practices. Definitely that's got to be number one. And then if there's other stuff, fine. And it's taking us, it's about 20 minutes once a week on the phone. We just go around the thing and we just hold each other accountable to the stuff that we want to grow in. And it's just, it, it works. Someone in that group, however, is going to be accountable to Ryan Carsmaker <laughs> because I just know that <laughs> that group could quickly descend into, oh, we talk about everything but Jesus again. So once a month, Ryan's going to ring up that point person and it's like, say, so how's it going? And give you some coaching and training and tips. And it's, it's, I'm hoping that there's a, a good engagement with this. And then over time, things uh, may grow where we'll need more people than Ryan. But Ryan's one of these guys and, uh, who's gone in deep, real deep. Uh, and he's become a little bit of a joke for us in terms of how hard he's gone, and it's like, oh no, <laughs> you know, and it's like, can I love it? Let's lift the bar of, of normal Christian life and start building a discipleship culture in this church. 
again. And so if you're interested in doing that, we've got a little uh, form that's here uh, that explains what it is, and we've got an email address, huddles at bayvineyardchurch.org.nz. Now, you can just come up and grab them at the end if you want. Um, I come into land with this. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. There's two things this morning I want to challenge us on. Number one, some of us need to come back to Jesus this morning and say, sorry, that's me. <laughs> Shut up, Harvey. It's time, time, mate. Some of you need to come back to Jesus again today. You need to repent. You know what repent means? I'm going in this direction. I turn around. And repentance is the constant movement back towards Jesus. It's not just I turn and I stand. It's I turn and I'm intentionally walking towards Jesus. And, and for some of you guys, honestly, here's what is at stake because this is what the enemy will not do. As you think that there's a wide road that's the easy one to follow, but it leads to destruction. Jesus said this. And here's the thing. So if you choose not to go deeper, but you choose just to stay in the status quo, that will mean a life of envy because you'll be comparing yourself constantly to people around you. It will mean a life of a degree of anxiety more and more. At minimum, you'll probably, this is horrible, but at minimum, there'll be a low-level depression. It's very hard in this world not to get stuck there because everything's over-promised and under-delivered. It'll mean some degree of self-medicating through alcohol, porn, busyness, shopping, whatever it may be. It will mean relational brokenness, and it'll probably mean that you wind up in some sort of tribe, normally political, but you just find some sort of group and you'll be part of the ongoing culture wars of our society. Ultimately, you'll be empty. However, <laughs> there's another way. I mean, isn't that right? We know this. We've lived in this. this oh, that's not, oh, I've experienced all of that. All of it. I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm, it's just the reality. The enemy hides consequences. And it's a slow drift. But that's the reality. And I've got to say it as your pastor. I, I don't want that for you and the Lord doesn't either. But here's what you can have. If you don't choose to go distant and you choose to go deep, you will have relational riches. Your life will be rich relationally. That's the way that really counts. You'll have such deep friendships. It'll be so rich. You will slowly walk into healing as God leads you into wholeness by His Spirit and you'll like who you are more and more and more. And if you can love yourself, it means you can love others well. So important. You'll increasingly experience love, joy, and peace in your inner being, the promises of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm standing before you today. like I'm, I'm preaching this passionately because I know this is real. In the last 10 years especially, I've gone like, Jesus, I'm going hardcore for you. And man, my soul's never felt better. Love, joy, and peace isn't a theory. It can be increasingly your experienced reality day by day. That's a good life. That's a rich life. You will have a deep satisfaction around how you're spending your life as you increasingly live a life of blessing for others, not self-centered consumerism. 
You'll just increasingly have this deep, deep satisfaction for how your life has been spent. And supremely, you'll be walking closely with a God who loves you more than you could ever know. I'll say that again. You'll be walking closely with a God who loves you more than you could ever know. That sounds rich. Sign me up for that. So today, I want to invite some of us to be born again. Choose Jesus. Things have got wobbly. Jesus hasn't been at the centre. This journey of discipleship and practising the way hasn't been a priority. Today, I call you to repent. Turn away from that lifestyle. Come back to Jesus. Make him Lord, be his disciple. Get in a home church, get to upper click, start a huddle, get back on the wagon in your discipleship journey and in, and in community practice the way together. The Holy Spirit wants to empower you to do that this morning. But secondly, some of you here today have been Christians for a while and you've been Talmudin for a while. I want to actually pray that God gives you a holy burden to make more disciples. Like honestly, at a certain point in the Christian journey, you should be making disciples, clearly making disciples. Colossians, it says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Let's stand together and I want to commission some of us into a life of making disciples and some of us this morning, I'm going to invite you to say yes to Jesus afresh and to say, I want to be a disciple of Jesus and to engage with all the things that we've got in place to help you on that journey.